0: Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us. This is a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein. Today is episode 355. It's titled, Which Money is Crazier, the U.S. Dollar or Bitcoin? Consider for a moment, if you arrived on the planet and you're being introduced to two different monetary systems, the US dollar and Bitcoin. You know nothing about them, and someone is going to explain both of these monetary systems to you. So you can decide which is better or which is more absurd. The thing about the US dollar and the fiat currency system is we're used to it. We're used to the fact that currencies fluctuate relative to each other, that they're not backed by anything. But there have been developments in currencies that have required us to adapt, such as buying stuff online, something we didn't do 25 years ago. Using PayPal or Venmo to send payments to each other. 100 years ago, people didn't use credit cards. We've had to adapt to that. So, what I thought I would do in this episode is let's just step back and compare the US dollar, to Bitcoin, what is it? How is it created? How its supply has grown? How it's used? How volatile is it? How often is it used in illicit activities? What about its energy use? And when we're done, we'll circle back to see, is one form of currency better than the other? And seeing that Bitcoin is the new currency on the block, should it even be around? Is it even useful? Let's start with the question we should ask about all financial instruments. What is it? The US dollar is a non interest bearing liability of the US Federal Reserve, the central bank that was established by the US Congress in 1913. It's a debt instrument. It says it right there on the currency. The Federal Reserve note. What is the Federal Reserve? It's a financial institution that's at the heart of the U.S. dollar system. The Federal Reserve has assets of over $8 trillion and liabilities of about $8 trillion, including $2.2 trillion of this currency in circulation. The Federal Reserve only has $50 billion in capital, so it is highly, highly leveraged. The paper bills and coins are just one aspect of the dollar. Most of the dollars are digital cash stored at financial institutions. One of the roles of the Federal Reserve in conjunction with the banking system is to make sure there is no double spending so that an individual doesn't write a bad check, write a check and there's insufficient funds. The U.S. dollar monetary system is a proof of stake system where you have the Federal Reserve and 12 regional Federal Reserve banks. Those regional banks are owned by commercial banks. They have stock in those Federal Reserve banks. And those Federal Reserve banks are set up like private corporations. Ultimately, the control rests with the board of governors of the Federal Reserve. What is Bitcoin? It's a peer-to-peer version of digital cash with the transactions and ownership stored on a non-centralized public ledger. The concept is based on a nine-page white paper by Satoshi Nakamoto, who released that paper in 2008. Bitcoin is a proof-of-work system, so there isn't these big financial entities that have a stake in the system. It's distributed. And in order to... Confirm there isn't double spending of Bitcoin. There are verifiers of all transactions, known as miners, and that public ledger is available on all these servers run by miners. Anyone can download that ledger, and it has all the transactions that have occurred with Bitcoin since its inception. How much money is outstanding in each of these monetary systems? There's 18.8 million Bitcoin, and there are $21 trillion, significantly more dollars than Bitcoin. How are dollars created? The currency itself is created when one of these 12 Federal Reserve banks requests from the Central Federal Reserve Bank currency for notes, and those Federal Reserve banks have to put up collateral to back the notes. Originally, that collateral was gold. Now, the collateral can be any asset held by a Federal Reserve Bank. For example, the Kansas City Federal Reserve Bank, at year-end 2020, had $55 billion of Federal Reserve notes on its balance sheet. Those needed to be backed by collateral. Kansas City Federal Reserve only had $300 million in gold certificates. 78 billion of its 118 billion in assets are U.S. Treasury securities. So, effectively, the collateral for the Federal Reserve notes that the Kansas City Federal Reserve Bank has is backed by U.S. Treasury securities. So, it is debt, the reserve note backed by debt, U.S. government bonds. The currency is created by the Federal Reserve at the request of the Federal Reserve member banks. Currency is also created digitally, foremost by commercial bank lending. When a commercial bank makes a loan, it creates a receivable and a deposit in the account of the borrower. That accounting act leads to the creation of new dollars. Another way dollars are created is through quantitative easing where the U.S. Federal Reserve purchases treasury securities and other bonds from member banks, and that creates reserves money in the financial system, and that money flows out into the economy as the U.S. government runs a budget deficit. Federal Reserve purchases in conjunction with government budget deficits leads to new money being created and flowing into the economy. Now, that's just how it works currently. The current system for the U.S. dollar has been in place for 50 years. The rules that are followed, we'll call it a protocol since that's the term used for cryptocurrency. 50 years ago, President Nixon announced that the U.S. dollar would no longer be convertible into gold. Foreign central banks had that option. They could exchange U.S. dollars for gold. That system had been in place since 1945. The system from 1945 to 1971 was put in place after World War II, where countries agreed to keep their currencies fixed relative to the dollar, and the dollar's value was fixed relative to gold with the fixed price of $35 per ounce of gold. And then there were earlier rule changes. In 1934, Congress passed a law signed by President Roosevelt that individuals and businesses in the U.S. could no longer hold monetary gold. That was illegal, and they could no longer redeem dollars to get gold. That was a major change. In the terms of cryptocurrency, we could call that a hard fork. A soft fork is just an update to the rules, but the currency exists. Continues, a hard fork is where there's an adjustment to the rules, and it's significant enough that it impacts the currency. Sometimes a new currency is created. In this case, gold no longer became interchangeable with the dollar. It was an entirely new regime for the dollar because it wasn't convertible anymore. In addition, the fixed rate of the dollar went from $20.67 per ounce gold to $35 per ounce, a significant depreciation of the dollar. So those are how dollars are created. Bitcoin is created automatically as part of the Bitcoin protocol. These miners, these verifiers of transactions get rewards for verifying it. It's a proof of work. They solve a mathematical equation or algorithm as part of the verifying of the transactions. Every 10 minutes, there's a block of transactions that are verified. Whoever's able to solve this mathematical equation and verifies the transactions first earns a reward of 6.25 Bitcoin plus transaction fees. That reward is cut in half every 210,000 blocks. So about every four years, the reward is cut in half. Now, there's also been forks, hard forks for Bitcoin, where a new type of Bitcoin was created. And these forks occur because some miners want to change the rules. And if the rules are changed and enough miners follow and start verifying transactions with the new coin, then potentially a new Bitcoin can be created. And Bitcoin cash and Bitcoin gold are the most prominent hard forks that occurred back in 2017. How much has the money supply grown, the U.S. dollar versus Bitcoin? In August 2018, there were 17.3 million Bitcoin. August of 2021, 18.8 million Bitcoin, a total increase of 9% in three years. There is a cap to the number of Bitcoin outstanding, 21 million. We're close to 19 million Bitcoin. There will only be 2 million more Bitcoin created as part of this mining process. And that's why there's this halving of the reward about every four years. At this rate, with this constant halving, it will take 120 years before there is no more Bitcoin created. At that point, miners would just receive the transaction fee for verifying the transactions. So the growth rate in Bitcoin will slow over time. Meanwhile, the U.S. dollar has gone from $14.5 trillion outstanding as measured by M2 back in August 2018, to $20.5 trillion today. That's a 45% increase in three years. There is an unlimited supply. Of U.S. dollars. The more banks lend, the more quantitative easing that is done, the more dollars there are. That was not always the case. When there was a gold standard, the supply of dollars was tied to the amount of gold available. Now there's an unlimited supply. One reason the supply of dollars needs to continually increase is because there needs to be sufficient money for the supply of goods and services outstanding. One reason there needs to be more and more money is the dollar is only divisible by 100. Its smallest unit is the penny, 100 pennies per dollar. And so we need more and more dollars in order to buy these goods and services as the population grows and there's more to buy. Unfortunately, the supply of dollars is increasing more than the supply of goods and services, and that's what leads to inflation. There's a guide on the Money for the Rest of Us website titled A Complete Guide to Understanding and Protecting Against Inflation, and you can check that out to learn more about what causes inflation. But that differs from Bitcoin. A single Bitcoin is made up of 100 million units called satoshis, which means Bitcoin can be divided into units as small as 0.0000001 Bitcoin. You can make very, very small micropayments of Bitcoins because it's so divisible. It's opposite the U.S. dollar. Each Bitcoin, over time, buys more and more goods and services. And the Bitcoin can be divided into ever smaller amounts. Whereas each U.S. dollar buys fewer and fewer goods and services over time. That means Bitcoin is deflationary because prices of goods and services are going down relative to Bitcoin whereas U.S. dollar is inflationary as the price of goods and services go up when priced in dollars. Let's look at payments and transactions. I mentioned earlier this year that I bought a watch with Bitcoin. It took 10 minutes for the transaction to be confirmed, for that Bitcoin transfer from me to the jeweler to be added to the blockchain. That blockchain is called Layer 1. That's the main architecture or ledger of the Bitcoin financial system. For the U.S. dollar, layer one is cash, the ability to use currency. But also layer one is writing a check. How long does it take for a check to settle? At least a day. I don't know if this jeweler would have taken a check, but if they did, they would have actually used a layer two service to confirm that I wasn't writing bad checks. Layer one of the U.S. dollar financial system, it's actually slower than Bitcoin. It takes a number of hours, if not a day, for a wire transfer to settle. It takes a day for a check to settle, whereas it takes 10 minutes for a Bitcoin transaction to settle. Because dollar transfers are so slow, there are layer two systems to facilitate transactions. Visa, MasterCard. American Express. Bitcoin also has layer two. It's called the Lightning Network. And there's apps that use this network that is a layer on top of the layer one Bitcoin architecture that facilitates very rapid transactions, sending money from one individual to another. Now, it's still early in that cycle, but it's very similar to the U.S. system. Layer one of the U.S. transactions are very, very slow. And there are layer two systems that facilitate faster transactions. Same with Bitcoin, except that layer one for Bitcoin is much faster than for the U.S. dollar. Before we continue, let me pause and share some words from this week's sponsors. On the tax front, this is where Bitcoin has a disadvantage. It's treated as a security, which means when I bought that watch and paid with Bitcoin, I now have to calculate the cost basis that I initially bought that Bitcoin, converting US dollars to Bitcoin, and I have to pay a capital gains tax on that. Had I paid in pesos, if the jeweler had accepted that, I wouldn't have to be doing those calculation. Now, there are times when you own foreign currency that you do have to pay capital gains tax. If I buy a stock that is denominated in the euro, and the stock in local currency in euro doesn't go up in price, But the euro strengthens relative to the dollar, and I sell that stock, then I do have to pay capital gains tax on that appreciation, which effectively just came from the euro strengthening. But that's if I buy an asset in a foreign currency. If I just hold the foreign currency, the cash, I don't have to figure out whether its value is going up or down relative to the dollar. You do with Bitcoin, and that's unfortunate. Bitcoin is often criticized because it's volatile. But as we saw, there's not that many Bitcoin outstanding, only 18 million. So its exchange rate relative to the U.S. dollar is volatile given its smaller size. But there are other currencies that have also been volatile like Bitcoin. Take the Russian ruble, for example. It fell 50% relative to the dollar from June 2014 to January 2015. Then from February to May 2015, the ruble gained 36% relative to the dollar, and then fell again 30% from May 2015 to December 2015. There are 59 trillion rubles outstanding. If we use the current exchange rate between the ruble and the dollar, there's about $800 billion worth of rubles outstanding. That's comparable to Bitcoin, which is about $900 billion of Bitcoin outstanding. Bitcoin, indeed, fell 50% relative to the dollar from April 2021 to July. Bitcoin is volatile, as other currencies of similar size can be volatile. What about illicit activity? Last year, about 0.34% of cryptocurrency transactions were illicit. Terrorist financing, it could be stolen funds, scams, ransomware, illicit drug payments. So about $5 billion of total funds received in cryptocurrency were illicit transactions. Most were probably Bitcoin-related transactions. Now, given the smaller size of Bitcoin, that that seems like a lot. On the other hand, just in the US, $100 billion of non-cannabis illicit drugs were purchased by Americans last year. So the scale of illicit activity, the absolute dollar amount of illicit activity dwarfs what occurs with cryptocurrencies. A very small percentage of cryptocurrency is used for illicit activities. Now, there will be more regulations for Bitcoin in order to crack down on the illicit use of Bitcoin, just like there has been regulation to control the illicit use of the US dollar. A lot of reporting functions related to moving larger sums of U.S. dollar. Looking at anonymity, there is some anonymity for Bitcoin. Only the public keys are available on the ledger. The private keys are hidden. It's difficult to identify who owns specific Bitcoin, but it can be done. So using Bitcoin because you believe there's anonymity there doesn't necessarily hold water because it's going to be more regulated. Using a digital dollar, there is very little anonymity. It's always known who sent that because that's done within the proof-of-stake financial system. But in making a micropayment with U.S. currency, the paper dollar bill, the Federal Reserve note, there can be some anonymity there, at least for smaller transactions. Let's consider energy use. A proof-of-work system that we see for Bitcoin is not energy efficient. It will use more energy than a comparable proof of stake. Whether the U.S. dollar financial system uses more energy than Bitcoin, we don't know. I've seen some estimates that it could be about the same, but the U.S. dollar is significantly more used. So if we look at same size, same scale, Bitcoin is going to be significantly more energy inefficient. Bitcoin uses about 92 terawatt hours per year, according to the Cambridge Center for Alternative Finance. But the range could be anywhere from 33 terawatt hours to 344 terawatt hours because we're not sure how energy efficient the computer servers are that are used to mine Bitcoin. For comparison, in the U.S., households collectively use about one terawatt of energy to heat their water heaters for one year. So Bitcoin is not energy efficient. On the other hand, Bitcoin has the advantage that built into its protocol, there is an incentive to use as cheap as energy as possible because then the miners are more profitable, which is why over 70% of miners say that they use renewable energy as part of their energy mix in mining Bitcoin and verifying transactions. Now, there's also a lot of very cheap coal used to mine Bitcoin. But the point is, as renewable energy becomes even cheaper, there is more and more incentive to use renewable energy to mine Bitcoin. Right now, for example, 8% of all Bitcoin have been mined using the volcanoes and natural springs in Iceland, energy from that. That trend will continue, but no doubt, Bitcoin is, at this point, much more energy-intensive than the U.S. dollar. In summary, then, here we have these two currencies, the U.S. dollar and Bitcoin. Both are backed by nothing. Both have seen their protocols or rules change over time. The U.S. dollar is legal tender in nine countries, including Ecuador and El Salvador. Seventeen countries still peg their currency to the dollar. Legal tender means that the holder of the dollar, where it's legal tender, can use it to pay debts, to pay taxes. Only El Salvador has made Bitcoin legal tender just recently. Because Bitcoin is not legal tender in the US, it's considered a security that makes it much less tax efficient, which is why you don't see a ton of transactions, people buying things in Bitcoin, because you have to figure out. Well, what did I buy that Bitcoin for so I can pay capital gains tax? That is a weakness because of regulation. It didn't have to be. Bitcoin could have been determined to be a currency, and that is the case in some countries, but not in the U.S. Bitcoin is faster to transfer at layer one at its main architecture than the U.S. dollar. It takes about 10 minutes. It takes hours to a day for the U.S. dollar. But the layer two options for the dollar, there's significantly more, which is why 44% of global payments around the world are done in the US dollar. Whereas there's a minuscule amount of payments with Bitcoin, even though there are layer two options for Bitcoin that allow for fast movement of Bitcoin without waiting for the transaction to be added to a block. Bitcoin is clearly more volatile than the dollar because of its smaller size, similar to other smaller currencies. Anonymity for both the dollar and Bitcoin is lessening over time. Both are used in illicit activity. Both require infrastructure to maintain, massive infrastructure. Bitcoin, given its size and its proof-of-work concept, is less energy efficient. But Bitcoin has an incentive built into its protocol to reduce energy costs. The cheaper the energy, the more profitable the miners But the biggest difference by far, which to me is the primary use case for Bitcoin, is the supply of Bitcoin being limited versus the unlimited supply for the U.S. dollar. Because the supply of Bitcoin is limited, it also can be divided into very, very small units, with one Bitcoin made up of 100 million satoshis. Each Bitcoin buys more and more goods and services over time, and the Bitcoin can be divided into ever smaller amounts. Whereas each U.S. dollar buys fewer and fewer goods and services over time, and the divisibility of the dollar is only down to the penny. The U.S. dollar is inflationary because you buy fewer goods and services over time as more and more dollars are created. Whereas Bitcoin is capped to 21 million. You'll be able to buy more things with Bitcoin over time. Not necessarily efficiently because you have to pay taxes. I own Bitcoin because of its scarcity, because it has over a decade of being in existence. I recognize that it's less efficient from a tax and energy standpoint. Yet I still think there's value there. We'll see if others want to continue to hold this digital asset. It takes effort to maintain the Bitcoin infrastructure and financial system just like it takes effort to maintain the US dollar infrastructure it also takes trust belief that others will continue to value a US dollar or a bitcoin in the decades ahead we don't know both US dollar and bitcoin are absurd they're not real things they're constructs they're mostly digital and we value them because we think others will value them in the future. As humans, we have tended to value things that are scarce more than we value things that are plentiful. Gold, art, precious gems, land. Those are real things, though. We'll see if valuing scarcity will continue in the digital realm, where it's just bits. The dollar has been valued. It's mostly digital for over 50 years, even as the supply has been increasing. Will that continue for Bitcoin where the supply is not increasing by any means at the same rate as U.S. dollar and the supply in Bitcoin is capped? That's our apples to apples comparison of the U.S. dollar versus Bitcoin. Both absurd. U.S. dollar better in some aspects, Bitcoin better in others. We'll see how it turns out. That's episode 355. Thanks for listening to the episode. In addition to the free podcast, there are some additional ways I can help you with your investing. First, consider signing up for my weekly Insider's Guide email. This email not only introduces that week's podcast and links, but also includes a well thought out essay on money, investing, and the economy to help you become a better investor. Another way I would love to help you is if you become a member of Money for the Rest of Us Plus. Plus membership gets you access to portfolio building tools, education, and a community to help strengthen your investment skills to generate more wealth over time because you'll be able to focus more on the critical drivers of investment returns and minimize mistakes. We'd love to have you as a member. Please sign up for the Insider's Guide and check out Money for the Rest of Us Plus at MoneyForTheRestOfUs.com. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education. I've not considered your specific risk situation. I've not provided investment advice. This is simply general education on money, investing in the economy. Have a great week.